From the studios of EWTN, this is Open Line with today's host, Father John Tregilio. In North America, call toll-free 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. Or send an email to openline at EWTN.com. Hey, tremendous Monday to each and every one of you. Thanks so much for tuning in to EWTN's Open Line. Father Trujillo is in the house. Well, he's in some house. I'm not sure what house he's in. <laughs> the rectory. He, it's a rectory. He's, he, he, he rectory hops. You talk about people who parish <laughs> hop, he rectory hops. Um, but if you'd like to be part of the program, the number is 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. If you're outside the United States and Canada, that number is one 205 Two seven one two nine eight five, and uh, we will even put you straight to the front of the line if you are outside of the United States and Canada. That number is one two zero five two seven one two nine eight five. You can always send us an email, open line at ewtn.com, or you can text your question. Uh, no, actually, you cannot text your question right <laughs> now. Strike that. Our texting service is on the fritz, so oh. check that. Boy, I'm a creature of habit. I'm telling you what. I told you that earlier today, and it is bearing itself out here again. I am Jack Williams, creature of habit. Michael McCall is producing the program. Your call screener is Matt Kubensky and Jeff Burson handling our social media efforts. So if you're watching us on YouTube or Facebook Live, you can type a question into the chat window, and it may find its way to us by the end of the program. And our hostess, he is every Monday, the aforementioned. Father John Tregilio. Hello. How are you? <laughs> I'm still here. <laughs> You're in an obscure corner of Pennsylvania, if I'm not mistaken. I'm in the northernmost part of our diocese, Berwick, Pennsylvania. Are you counting votes? What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> I'm preaching 40 hours at the parish. Oh, okay. Well, good. That'll be awesome. Um, we've got a uh, an email here from Gus, and his uh, question is... What and there was a, there's a, there's actually a Gus. I'll tell you before Father Trujillo tackles this. There's an article in today's National Catholic Register. Go to ncregisteronline.com, and uh, that answers this question also. But it's his question is what are the requirements to receive the Eucharist? Okay, well, one must be baptized first, uh, baptized uh, into the Catholic faith. Uh, one must have um, also made their first confession prior to receiving Holy Communion, and you must be in the state of grace. So if you've committed a mortal sin, you should not go to communion. You should go to confession uh, as soon as possible. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. Let's just jump right to liturgical abuses on this Monday. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, why not? (laughs) Robin writes in, she says, we have a priest who breaks the bread when saying the words, he took bread and broke it. Uh. Then he he proceeds with the consecration. Is this legit? It's valid, but it's not legit. (laughs) It's what we would say illicit, because um, inside the book that the priest uses to say Mass, it's called the Roman Missal, Um, the words that he says out loud are printed in black, 
and the things he's supposed to do are printed in red, and it makes it very clear in red that he is not to break the host until after he consecrates it, and it's right um, during the Agnus Day, the Lamb of God. Uh, if he does it any earlier, it's still valid, but uh, he's not following the rubrics, and it's that's what we train a, him at. It's actually a rite that there's a name for, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it's called the fractioning rite, <laughs> the breaking of the... In fact, that's what that's the most ancient way of referring to the Mass. It's in the New Testament. It's called the breaking of the bread. Um, but I've, I remember when I was in seminary, we had some priests who were pushing for that. Uh, of course, we had chunky Jesus back then, so you couldn't crack him too hard. <laughs> 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. 833 833- Two eight eight three nine eight six. Now, here's something that you and I talk about from time to time, and I don't know if we've ever talked about it on the air, um, but Georgie would like to know, said, I used to enjoy Web of Faith years ago. Did that show end, and is Father Levis still alive? Uh, Father Levis was called home to the good Lord um, about maybe several years ago. He was 96 years old, and uh, after he passed away, um, we had the Father Ken Brigenti take over. In fact, actually, Father Ken took over uh, when Father Reza- or retired from um, from doing Web of Faith. So I did Web of Faith with Father Levis for 10 years, and I was doing it for 10 years with Father Ken Brigenti. And uh, we've moved from a different format. So instead of the Web of Faith weekly program, we now have something called Catholic Blitz. And uh, they're like two-minute uh, blitzes. <laughs> we answer one question at a time, and um, it's the same basic thing like the Web of Faith, but it, it's certainly much more uh, abridged. It's not the same without the fake typing. Adam writes in, <laughs> yeah. when Jesus returns at the final judgment, what will happen to the earth and creation? Well, uh, what we believe as Catholics, what the Holy Mother Church teaches us, that uh, when we have the second coming of Christ, and we have the, the resurrection of the dead, we have the general judgment, uh, we also have the end of the world. So all the creation uh, will, will cease to exist because just, there only will be heaven and hell. Um, the world was not meant to be eternal. Uh, it's temporary. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. Three lines taken, three lines open at 833-288-3986. Mike writes in and he says, Given our understanding of God, does theology preclude the possibility of more than one true God? Uh, Yes, because the very essence of what it means to be God is, is that uh, you alone are the sole source of existence, and therefore you can have three persons in one God, but you can't have three gods. Um, like so, the Greek and the Romans and all the other polytheistic religions, you know, sort of div- um, divvy out uh, works of divinity, um, but none of them is the actual supreme being. Uh, in Catholic theology. Uh, we believe that there is one God, and that's part of our uh, creed that we say. We believe in one God, Father Almighty, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. 
Once again, the phone number is 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. Nathan would like to know, how do we know that Jesus' suffering was enough to redeem all our sins? Well, we know that because uh, Scripture tells us, and Holy Mother Church teaches us that, it's in the Catechism, and since he is the Son of God, he is the second person of the Trinity, uh, there's no way that you could say that God couldn't have done enough. Now, we do believe, though, that by divine choice, not by necessity, but by divine choice, he left a little sliver opening, not because he couldn't do it 100%, but he wanted to leave a little opening so that you and I could unite our sufferings with his. So when St. Paul uses that phrase, for that which is lacking in the sufferings of Christ, he's not saying that Jesus could not have done it all by himself, but that he did not want to do all of it by himself. So he did it 99 and 44 one hundredths uh, percent, and our sufferings, all the people who've ever existed, uh, we squeeze into that little tiny sliver by his invitation. You know, it's kind of hard to imagine an omniscient God kind of sitting up there and thinking, uh-huh, I didn't see that coming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in fact, Jesus used that analogy in one of the um, parables. He said, what man puts up a building without realizing if he has enough resources? Uh, Bill writes in, if the Holy Spirit was present in the Old Testament, why was there a need for his descent at Pentecost? Well, again, all three persons are always present because that's, uh, the essence of being God, uh, they're distinct but not separate. It's just that we, uh, by appropriation, ascribe to each person a different act. So we say God the Father created, God the Son redeemed, and God the Holy Spirit sanctified. So the Father and the Son sent the Holy Spirit, but it's not that the Father and Son stayed in heaven and the Holy Spirit alone came to earth. All three are always present. And just like on the Calvary, uh, Jesus Christ the Son is what our eyes saw, but at no time was there ever a separation of any of the persons of the Trinity. Otherwise, uh, he would cease to be God. Just getting started on an open line Monday with Father John Tregilio. Still time for your calls and an open phone line right now at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. It's EWTN's Open Line Monday with Father John Tregilio. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. If you have a question, call 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. Or send us an email to openline at EWTN.com. From Rome to your home with news from EWTN's Vatican Bureau, you can watch all the important events from Rome even if you don't have TV access. Using the latest technology, we've made it possible to watch the latest news from the Holy See, all delivered directly to your home via live streams. Watch live on EWTN's YouTube channel. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. 
833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. Leading things off today is Sean, a first-time caller in the great state of California, listening on John Paul II Radio. Sean, you're on with Father Trujillo. Hello, thank you uh, for taking the call. Thanks for calling. What can we do for you today? So mine's more philosophical. Um, I this probably sounds super vague, but I'm trying to reconcile the uh, idea of free will and then also like an internal judgment. And I'm just struggling with the idea because I would I would assume that if there's free will, then you know on through enough people, then basically all decisions would be made. And I don't know why a certain percentage of those people would be condemned based off the decisions that would you know just arise from free will. Okay, well, that that's a, a philosophical um, question for sure. Um, although we have free will, our free will has consequences. Hence, if, if I choose to jump off the roof of this building, that's a free will decision, but there's consequences. I'm going to fall and probably kill myself. Therefore, my death is a result of the act of my free will. Um, I may not have... Um, wanted to die, but if I chose to jump off the roof, that's what's going to happen. Likewise, if I choose to go against God, it's not that God punishes me, he ratifies the decision I made. Uh, mortal sin is more than just breaking the law. Mortal sin is turning my back completely on God, completely deliberately and conscientiously. So like what Adam and Eve did, uh, what the Judas did, what any of us do when we sin, we're basically saying to God, your will doesn't matter. I'm going to do what I want, regardless of the consequences. Uh, so the people who are uh, damned to hell send themselves there, in essence. It's not that God said, well, you, you did what you wanted, however, it wasn't what I wanted. God wants what's best for us. He wants us to go to heaven, but he doesn't force us because we have free will. So anything he asks us to do it's contingent on that premise that he wants that's what's good for us. Uh, just like a, a drowning person, you throw them a, a life preserver. Uh, they have to grab it, all right? If they don't grab it, if they don't cooperate with the act of rescuing them, then they're going to drown. Likewise, you know, God throws us the, the lifesaver, but we're going to have to reach out and, and grab it. Uh, you might say to yourself, well, no, I, I choose not to grab the lifesaver. Guess what, then? You, you don't survive. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. We'll stay right there in the great state of California. Steve is watching on YouTube. Steve, you're on with Father Tregilio. Yes, gentlemen, I'd like your help on the issue of how to handle, how to properly view uh, the issue of sedevacantism, sedevacantism. Um, I'm a, wanted to become Catholic, and this is very confusing for me. Okay. Uh, well, um, there's an ancient axiom that goes back to the time of St. Ambrose, ubi petrus ibi ecclesia, which translate where Peter is, there is the church. So the Sede Vicantis, these are um, former Catholics who believe that there is not a current pope. They're saying that the, the last pope was either Pius XII or whichever one they want to pick, um, Jesus said to Peter, Thou art Peter, upon this rock I will build my church. And he gives them the keys of the kingdom. Whatever you declare bound on earth is bound in heaven. And the gates of hell shall not prevail. 
So we firmly believe as Catholic Christians that the Bishop of Rome, the Pope, is a successor of St. Peter, and there's been that unbroken line from St. Peter all the way down to Pope Francis. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to agree with every prudential judgment of all the popes, but uh, in those rare instances where they make uh, an infallible decree, like uh, when Pius IX um, defined the um, Macri Conception or Pius XII defined uh, the Assumption, uh, those are ex cathedra papal infallible statements, or when they confer uh, what was been solemnly taught at an ecumenical council, like the Council of Trent, Vatican I or Vatican II. Um, so a Sede Vacantis is actually, um, it's a non sequitur, it's an oxymoron, because you're saying that there is no pope. Well, if there's no pope, then there's no church. Jesus gave the keys not to uh, an institution, but to a person, and that person then runs the institution. His vicar on, on earth is the Holy Father. And uh, that's why it, it makes no sense that the chair of Peter would be empty. Um, now, obviously, there's a period when after the Pope dies, they elect a new one. And we've had some incident, we had one instance in church history where there were a couple of guys who were claiming to be uh, the Pope, but there was never an instance where they said, no, we, we don't have one and we don't need one. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. It's a free phone call anywhere in North America. One open line for you at 833-288-3986. We head next to Toronto, Ontario. John is listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. John, thanks for holding. Welcome to the program. Hi, Father John, and hi, Jack. Um, my question is the following. We went to a, a, a memorial mass for my dad last Friday. And um, it was a lo- it's it's our parish, and my sister in law, who is not Catholic, uh, in front of me, um, went up for a blessing, and she received the blessing. And then the priest, who knows our family, also gave her communion. She is definitely not Catholic. She knows she's not Catholic. He knows mm-hmm. she's not Catholic. And I am still reeling um, over that. Uh, that action. Um, when I approached the priest afterwards, who is a friend of ours, he said, well, mm-hmm. you know, um, he could, maybe this is a way that we can convince her to, to become Catholic. I said, well, that's not really, not a, not an answer for me. There's other ways. Um, I'm trying to take it to prayer, but I am quite honestly, Father John, I am so angry. Um, mm-hmm. and I couldn't wait till today to talk to you guys. Um, I, you know, um, either you, Father Wade, or Father, um, or, or, or Father, um, um, uh, the one on Wednesdays. Mitch, um, Father Mitch. Mitch, I, <laughs> I, Mitch. I, I'm so happy that I got one of the three. And Father John, I'm sorry, but you're the first one on the on the hit list. So I, I have to ask you, no, I'm, I'm glad should I be this I, angry? Well, I would say it's justifiable uh, um, righteousness that you have because he did the wrong thing. Now, we can give a benign interpretation and say, well, maybe he didn't mean to do that, or he had good intentions. It still was the wrong thing to do. I wouldn't be angry with him, but be angry with what he did. Separate um, the person from the bad uh, decision, the bad uh, choice that he made. Even though he meant well, even though he you know, claims that he didn't uh, want to do something wrong, it's evident, and uh, you know, one must be in full communion to receive communion. 
uh, the Catholic, and this is the Eastern Orthodox as well. If you go to a, a Greek Orthodox or Russian Orthodox church, if you're not in communion with them, they're not going to give you communion. They're not even going to give you a blessing. Now, that being said, there are proper ways of doing things, and uh, again, there's a directory on uh, reception of Holy Communion, and in very limited, rare cases where uh, um, a Christian from another denomination uh, with special permission can receive communion, um, but you, we don't do it at weddings, we don't do it at funerals, we just don't do it casually, because that this is a big uh, this is a big thing. And the analogy I use is like for many non-Catholic churches, uh, they see the distinction between say Lutheran and Presbyterian as like the difference between New Jersey and Pennsylvania. We're still Americans, but we're different states. Um, we still go participate in the presidential election. But the Catholic and Orthodox view is like the difference between the United States and Canada. All right, we're neighbors, we're very similar, but if you want to run for office in Canada, uh, you have to be a Canadian citizen. If you want to vote uh, you know, in an American election, you have to be a citizen. Uh, you could be a Canadian and live here, and you could be an American and live there and still be considered a good person, but if you want the full privileges of being a citizen, like voting or running for office, then you have to take the plunge. And the same with Holy Communion. If that's a sign of an already existing union, it's not a means to an end, it's an end in itself. And that that's why we want people to say, I want this so much that I become Catholic. If you give it to them beforehand, then there's really no impetus for them to come into the Church since you're already giving them uh, the fullness and in reality, it doesn't exist, so it's it's almost like a, a sacramental lie. So uh, you, you can do this in the proper way, and that's why priests should make this announcement at all funerals and all weddings. Uh, those Catholics who are properly disposed uh, can come to the communion if, if they're in the state of grace. Those of you who are not in the Catholic faith, we ask you to please uh, respect this time of prayer and leave it at that. Or... You know, some places do, they give a, a blessing. The person indicates by maybe putting their hands over their, their chest or something like that. But to give communion to a non-Catholic, as he did, uh, was was wrong. But again, I wouldn't be angry with him. I'd be angry, disappointed in his decision. And he doesn't give a really good answer, so maybe you need to bring this to the attention of the local dean uh, of the deanery or perhaps to, to the bishop's office. Uh, and, John, and listen, I... I completely understand your frustration. I mean, we've, we've all, you know, our love for the Eucharist uh, exudes these sort of feelings in us on, on occasion. Uh, I'll just share one little story with you that has helped me from time to time, and I know that this doesn't uh, completely apply because this is a situation that you're intimately close with, with this being a, a relative. But when I was expressing a similar frustration many years ago, I had a great woman, very wise woman, who told me that when she found herself in those sorts of situations, what she tried to do was to just focus on the fact, she said, ah, Jesus Christ is fully present, body, blood, soul, and divinity in the Blessed Sacrament, and I am not worthy to receive him. And I have found that that helps to stem the tide of my frustration a little bit, and um, you know, hopefully it'll it'll help you. Did Father John answer that for you, John? Very much. Yes, he did. All right. God bless you. Thanks so much. We appreciate the phone call. 
833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. A couple of open phone lines still for you at 833-288-3986. If you're outside the United States and Canada, we'd still love to hear from you. That number is one 205 2712985 and we'll even put you straight to the front of the line at 12052712985 It's EWTN's Open Line Monday with Father John Tregilio This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. It's a free phone call anywhere in North America. 833-288-3986. We're going to head next to the great state of Washington. Carrie is in Washington listening on Sacred Heart Radio. Carrie, you're on with Father John Tregilio. Hi. Um, I heard one of the callers ask you about the end of the world and um, when Jesus comes back, and it, he said the end of the world would be then. And I always thought that, but why do we stay in the glory be world without end? Oh, that's a very good question. <laughs> uh, it's a figure of speech. Uh, it's, it's not meant to be taken literally. It's just like forever and ever. Well, forever covers everything. So, you, you know, you're just adding a little extra to it. So uh, world without end is not referring to the, the physical world. It's talking about the, the spiritual world, which is, you know, uh, which would be heaven. Does that help? Yep. Thanks. All right. Thank you, Carrie. We appreciate the phone call. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. Next up is Carlos in Denver, Colorado, listening on the Amazon Echo. Carlos, you are on with Father John. Hi, Father John. Thanks for taking my phone call. Go ahead. Yeah, go Father, right ahead. Can you hear me? Okay. Yes. Oh, yeah. Um, I have a question about the, the marriage sacrament. My wife and I are seeking the, the marriage sacrament, and she is a type 1 diabetic, um, and she's had complications over the years with her eyesight. Um, she's lost about 75% of her eyesight, and she's gone through a lot of, of surgeries. Um, she's in the understanding that um, becoming pregnant might um, damage her eyesight further. Um, she is taking contraceptive um, because of this. And I wonder um, how that affects the sacrament. Okay, well, that, that's a very good question, and certainly um, I'd like to keep uh, her in our, in our prayers. Um, you need to speak to um, someone from, like, the Catholic Medical Association. Uh, they're, they're a team, they're an association of Catholic doctors, and they can explain to you with a much better precision on what can and cannot be done uh, in such a situation, uh, whether or not uh, uh, getting pregnant would 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 actually uh, jeopardize her eyesight. But if that were the case, I can't say myself with moral certitude because I don't know enough medicine. But if that is the case, then uh, using uh, natural family planning to um, uh, postpone a, a birth 
would be allowed. The reason why contraceptives are not, because in most cases, contraceptives um, work as an abortifacient, and that means they, they kill um, the new fetus, the new embryo, which is a human being at this point, it occurs after fertilization of, of the egg. It doesn't prevent conception. It actually, well, that's why we call it abortifacient. Now, if it is a, a form of birth control that doesn't, that is more, uh, prohibits conception, again, reading Humanae Vitae from Pope Paul VI makes it clear that you can't separate the two acts, uh, the conjugal act uh, between husband and wife, Love and life, unity and procreation are intimately connected. So to artificially prevent uh, conception is as wrong as it is to artificially conceive. So like uh, in vitro fertilization is not right. Now that doesn't mean that your your wife has to jeopardize uh, her health, but I would certainly uh, talk to someone from the CMA and ask what is possible, what is um, what techniques um, I know through uh, NAPRO, but also, and, and natural family planning has gotten a bad rap over the years because people think it's the old rhythm method. It, it, it's not. It's much, much more scientific. And when compared to the other forms of birth control that are not morally permissible, it's equally, if not surpassed, in terms of efficiency. So you can't say that it's the old method, it doesn't work. Now they use science and medicine, and it, it, it is uh, much more effective. So I would talk to one of those doctors first to see, because just like when people made the claim that, well, if the, the mother's life is in jeopardy, then you can, you can uh, abort the baby. Doctors say that's, that's not the case. There's never an instance where uh, you have to choose one over the other. Uh, and likewise, in, in this case, there might not, depending on what your wife's condition is and depending on what techniques are available, um, I would certainly want a, a Catholic doctor's uh, expertise in this. Is that helpful for you? That's very helpful. Thank you so much. All right. You're very welcome. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. 833-288-3986. Next stop, Omaha, Nebraska. Jeff is in Omaha listening on Spirit Catholic Radio. Jeff, you're on with Father John Tregilio. Yes, Father. I have a question. I was pretty deeply involved in the occult. I don't know which came first, my mental illness or that, but I have a really bad anger and depression problem, and I get very angry and suicidal and end up in the hospital quite a bit. But I'm physically healthy, and when I'm not crazy, I also have a fairly high IQ. I kind of supplemented my kids' education I was a single parent for for a long time, and they're getting a Ph.D., and the other one's at Harvard because I taught them stuff like algebra in grade school. But I feel like useless because I have this energy on days I'm feeling well, and I I feel like I should be doing something, but I've been advised by some good Catholics against getting a full-time job because I'd lose my disability and I might end up in the hospital and then... I'd end up homeless or something, and I've considered going into a monastery, but monasteries reject me, and I was just wondering, how do you know what to do with your spare time and God's will in your life and stuff like that? Well, first of all, I want you to uh, know that we're uh, we're praying for you. I, I particularly uh, will keep you in my prayers, and uh, I had a priest friend who battled uh, depression, 
And so uh, it's something, you know, you, you should not be embarrassed about. Uh, it's not your fault. People don't choose to be depressed. And so whether it's um, clinical depression that requires medication or it just it requires therapy, uh, it's something that people, it's a cross that they bear, uh, just like my brother had to bear a cross with his uh, muscular dystrophy. Uh, that being said, uh, what you can do, um, here's where it's important, that maybe if you could find a priest to be your spiritual director, someone you could talk to at length, as opposed to at confession time, uh, there's really not the opportunity to get into in-depth spiritual direction, because usually people go to confession on a Saturday, and there's a big line of people, and the priest, it's most like triage, you're at the ER, and they're there to stop the bleeding and to save your life, and you know to look over your um, your blood pressure and your uh, triglycerides, and that, that's what you need to go for a regular checkup with your family doctor. Likewise, uh, finding a priest to be a spiritual director, and it's going to take a little effort, but I think going regularly to spiritual direction once a month, um, maybe going to retreat once a year, but also finding a spiritual director that you could talk to, and then maybe together through prayer you can find out what, what uh, things you'd be available for you to do. How's that sound, Jeff? Thank you. All right, terrific. Thanks so much. We appreciate the call today. That opens up a line for you at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. We head now to southern Minnesota. RJ is listening on the EWTN app. RJ, you're on with Father Trujillo. Good afternoon. Thank you for taking my call. Uh, the reason I called was uh, a relative uh, out west uh, passed unexpectedly, and uh, I read the obituary online, and it said that uh, that the burial service was being conducted by uh, an Episcopalian uh, minister. And I knew this person to have been, you know, born, raised Catholic. Uh, last I knew was even a uh, Eucharistic minister, uh, and but I haven't seen in a long time. I'm just kind of curious uh, how I, I didn't ask him, you know, why why yeah. not a Catholic funeral? But I guess why not a Catholic funeral? What what would <laughs> cause that not to happen? Should someone ask for it? Yeah, I would say it's it's in in the old 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 days. Okay, before Vatican One. All right. Um, it was typical that Catholic funerals were for Catholics only. Um, now we offer Catholic funerals for Catholics, but also spouses of, of, of Catholics who may not be of the Catholic faith. So it's usually not the case where the Church said, now the only time the Church will refuse a Catholic burial is someone that's a notorious public sinner. Um, and again, in ancient times, we didn't know as much as we do today uh, someone who committed suicide was not allowed a Catholic burial, or someone who was excommunicated. Now we realize, you know, that the Church is merciful, and, uh, you know, we give them the benefit of doubt. But again, if someone's a notorious, like, a gangster or terrorist, you know, they'll probably be denied a funeral. In most cases, what's happening is it's a Catholic who should have a Catholic funeral, and they're deciding not to have one. I was a pastor for 16 years, and sadly, I saw more and more... Catholic funerals where there was no wake the night before, there was no funeral mass the day of, 
they didn't want me at the funeral parlor. They just want me at the cemetery to say a few prayers as they threw the, the, the casket into the hole. Um, and when I asked I'm faithful Catholics, why is your spouse not getting a Catholic funeral? I said, you, you people went to church every day or every week. Well, Father, our kids don't go. Our neighbors aren't Catholic. And I would say to them, if your neighbor was a, a good, devout Jew and died, you'd go to the synagogue or temple, and you wouldn't be selling out your faith and going. You wouldn't be a full participant, but you would go out of courtesy, and no one would say anything. Why is it that when a Catholic dies— we bend over backwards the other way and say, well, let's not have a Catholic funeral because we don't... Look, non-Catholics realize that they're not Catholic. They don't go and get mad because uh, they can't receive communion. They don't know when to kneel or genuflect. They sit there, but they're there for moral and spiritual support. Um, it's sad when a Catholic... Because the highest thing you could do for a deceased person is to offer the Mass and pray for their soul. And so when people don't do that... Uh, it's usually something they're mad at the church, or they're mad at the bishop, or they're mad at the priest, uh, whether it was the scandals or, you know, during the pandemic, you know, the churches were closed. There's all these reasons out there that, that aren't sufficient. But uh, why a Catholic would get buried by an uh, Episcopalian minister, um, I have no idea. Thanks, RJ. We appreciate the phone call. I want to give a big shout-out to everyone listening on KEFAFM 102.9 in Wenatchee, Washington. They're celebrating their 8th anniversary this year. Congratulations to our good friends at Core Christi Academy, celebrating 8 years of solid EWTN Catholic Radio. Congratulations to everybody at KEFM 102.9 in Wenatchee, Washington. Uh, next stop is North Carolina. Roseanne is in North Carolina listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Roseanne, welcome to the program. You're on with Father John. Hi. Hi, Father John. I, uh, my question is this. I have some relatives who support a lot of things that are against church doctrine. Abortion is one, but there are others, like ordination of women. Now, they don't, they're not public figures, and they don't do anything about it. I mean, they're not complicit in procuring abortions or anything like that. They just hold these beliefs. They don't mm-hmm. go around spouting them, but they will tell you what they think if you ask. And mm-hmm. I'm wondering if that's a sin. And if so, is that a mortal sin, a venial sin? You know, I just, I'm, yeah. I'm confused about that. Okay, well, that's, that's a good question. Uh, we make a distinction in moral theology between material cooperation and formal cooperation in evil. Formal cooperation is when you agree with what's being done and you know it's wrong and, you, and that's why you want to do it. Material is that you actually are physically engaged in something that's wrong, but you don't necessarily agree to it. So in many cases where someone opposes church teaching, uh, that's a formal rejection of church of church uh, doctrine, but if they're not espousing it, that they're telling people this is what they should do, um, that, that that's something that they certainly, I wouldn't say, for it to be a, a mortal sin, they have to know exactly that what they are espousing is not church teaching. Now, if they were poorly trained, if they went to a, a so-called Catholic university where, you know, it's not orthodox, it's not teaching uh, what's the uh, magisterial teaching, and it's not their fault, all right, uh, th- then they're not in sin, but they still are in error. 
But if they know this is not what the church teaches, it's not in the catechism, uh, for like an example for abortion um, or uh, women's ordination, this has all been taught by the church. Um, it's to the degree with which they know and still are obstinate because uh, when you look at the catechism, it makes a distinction between heresy, which is rejecting a teaching of the church, schism, which is rejecting the authority of the church, and apostasy, which is a total repudiation and rejection of the Christian religion. So in many cases, the heretical ideas that, that some Catholics espouse, um, all right, they're not informal um, heresy in that they were declared a heretic, they didn't set up their own church, but there's, there's still that uh, material heresy that what they believe is not in harmony. Uh, there's where you still have an opportunity maybe uh, you know, to enlighten them, to share with them the faith, but uh, you know, that's something they shouldn't treat too lightly. But again, you're, you're, like Jesus said, a prophet's not without honor except where in his own house. So um, you, you do what you can, but I wouldn't say you know, that if these friends of yours ask you, then you have a moral obligation to say that, well, you, what you believe really isn't. It's not more than just that's not what the Church teaches. It's not true. Thanks so much, Roseanne. We appreciate that call. That opens up a line for you at 833-288-EWTN. Still time for your calls at 833-288-3986. Patty is in Valley, Nebraska, listening on Spirit Catholic Radio. Patty, you're on with Father John. Hi, Father John. We love your show. Thank you for airing it. Um, my question is, I, I really need some guidance here. I have a friend that we have been good friends for years. We both have always shared our Catholic faith. She is part of a prayer group that meets on Friday that, I, that I'm that i in with her. And a couple, about two years ago, she, she's been married to, he's also a good friend of ours, her, her late husband now, but he had like um, muscular dystrophy and uh, and it's declined over the years. And she'd been a supportive wife for years and years. But then um, about two years ago, she just decided that she didn't want this anymore. And she pursued another man who also claims to be very Catholic. And his counselor told him to put space between them, which he tried to do, but didn't succeed and you know she still pursued him and she was dating him um the final months of my of her husband's life and so he was not allowed to die in peace and my question is she just it to, to me it appears like she's turning her back on our catholic faith but she still wants to be a big part of it she's still attending um our prayer group and I don't know how to respond. She she will tell me that, she, okay, they've just gone this far where she's just going to stay in her house and he will live at his. And then the next time I see her, she tells me that they're living together and acted surprised that I didn't know it. Well, no, I didn't know because she didn't tell me that. And now they're building a house together. How do I respond without being disloyal to God and my faith? Yes. Well, you have to always do this in charity, but it's because of charity, you have to do the right thing. So it would not be right for you to pretend as if this was okay. She's living with someone who's not her husband. Uh, they're playing house, as, as we used to say. Um, and whatever led up to that, which you know certainly didn't sound uh, good either. 
But if, if they're living together, it's called, it's called cohabitation, when uh, a man and woman live together as husband and wife, but they're not really married. Um, it's scandalous. And, you know, I say to, I had relatives, I, I said to parishioners, when your son or daughter comes home from college or after they're out of college and they bring their boyfriend or girlfriend over, don't let them sleep in the same room uh, if they're not married. Well, what are you going to do? I said, well, you make, you say, look, if you want to stay here, you have separate rooms. You, you, you tell Junior he has to sleep on the couch. Oh, well, no, then they'll, they'll go somewhere else. Then let him go somewhere else. Um, again, uh, you're not doing anyone a favor in condoning uh, or tolerating evil, but the same token, we don't have to come off as judgmental or uh, holier than thou. And that's you know not always easy to, to do, but it's something we have to at least make the effort. So um, if you really like this person, she's a friend, uh, you know, you need to say to her, uh, look, I, 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 not only do I not feel comfortable, I can't visit you if this man who's living there with you, he's not your husband. And likewise, you know, you're not going to go out as, on couples night, uh, you and your husband, uh, with this couple if, if they're living together in sin. Now, uh, I know sometimes people say, well, down in Florida, you know, there's some elderly people that don't want to get married because of Social Security. Fine, don't get married, but don't live together either. There's nothing that says that you know that, that you need to uh, be cohabitating. Uh, if you don't want to ruin your Social Security, then stay single. Next up is St. Louis, Missouri. Mary is in St. Louis, a first-time caller listening on Covenant Radio. Mary, you're on with Father John. Hi, Father John. How are you? Fine. Good. I just have a question about souls. My... Uh, grandchildren were asking me, their great-grandmother passed away a couple weeks ago, and then we were having conversation about souls and human souls, and one of them asked about animal souls. Do they have souls, and do they go to heaven? <laughs> Particularly dogs and cats, because they lost their dog about three months ago. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sorry, it's not real. <laughs> no, I, I get this a lot, and uh, here's, here's, what, here's what the thing is. Animals I do hope have the a answer soul. is, yes, you dog. <laughs> Animals have souls, but so do plants. Soul is a principle of life, and so the soul is what makes a thing alive. But unlike human beings, animal souls are not immortal. Our souls are immortal because we're made in the image and likeness of God. So my cat, Octavian, all right, I, I love him very much, but when he dies, his soul dies. Now, that doesn't mean that at the resurrection of the dead, when God raises up our bodies and glorifies them, it's within the purview of God, if he wants to, to recreate our favorite pets and that. He doesn't have to, though, because they don't have immortal souls. But I know some theologians speculate, just like St. Thomas Aquinas speculates, that after we're resurrected, there'll be food in heaven, but there's no calories, there's no carbs, because, you know, uh, if you're diabetic, you don't have to worry about, because you're not diabetic anymore when you're in, in heaven with your resurrected body. So it's feasible that God could remake uh, our favorite pets uh, in the afterlife, but they're not entitled to it. So it would just be uh, a freebie, so to speak. And yet, when you tell that to little children, they may not fully comprehend. So it's not something I'm going to say to the third graders, you know, when I go over to TCCT. You know what my favorite answer to that question is, Father? What? I can't remember who gave it, actually, to be honest with you, but they said that their answer was, if you need your pet in heaven, your pet will be there. 
Yeah, but if you have God, you don't need anything else. <laughs> <laughs> I did have a lady who called us in once on the show with me and Father Levis on Web of Faith. She said, if my pooch can't go with me to heaven, then I don't want to go. So Father Bob goes, okay, then you can go to hell with your dog. <laughs> <laughs> Patty is in San Antonio, Texas, listening on Guadalupe Radio. Patty, you're on with Father John. Hi, Father John. I want to know where in the Bible does it talk about the examination of the conscience? And if you think that this is the generation that's going to be getting it more, I think because you know, if we're getting closer to Jesus and so forth. Okay. Well, I think the she, may be ta- is not- yeah, she may be talking about illumination of conscience. Oh, okay. I was going to say the examination of conscience is not explicitly mentioned in there. Uh, the, the conscience is illuminated by uh, by God's uh, divine truth, so that you know that's why we're not left on our own devices. That's why we need divine revelation. It's necessary so that our consciences are clear. So what is taught in sacred scripture and what is taught in sacred tradition are not options. They're necessary. And just like in the three stages of the spiritual life, you have the purgative, the illuminative, and then the unitive. We need to know what is right and wrong before we can make a good choice, uh, what we're going to do. And therefore, uh, divine or illumination of the conscience is something that you and I want and we need to do. And part of that is an examination of conscience, where at the end of the day, I go over what I did or did not do and ask myself, could I have done better? And then hopefully the next day I'm going to do that. And we're almost out of time, Father, and I'm going to ask Lorenzo's question in Indianapolis for him because I think it's a it's an important one. He wants to know if it is wrong for he and his wife to have relations while his wife is contracepting. If she's contracepting, I would say yes, because particularly if she's using an abortifacient, then that would be an abortion. You know, a lot of these pills that they're giving to the, the women are not truly contraceptive. They're abortifacient. They, they wait until the egg is fertilized, and then that's a human being, that's an embryo, and then it, it forces the embryo out as opposed to preventing uh, the fertilization, which would be true conception. So, yeah, if she's using one that's an abortifacient, definitely, but even if she's not, you know, um, you know, I would Father, say a 10 it, second it's blessing. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. On behalf of our host, Father John Tregilio, producer Michael McCall, call screener Matt Kubensky, social media maven Mr. Jeff Burson. I'm Jack Williams. Thanks for tuning in. Back at it tomorrow with Father Wade. Until then, God bless. <laughs>